Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. You know, in life, there's a lot of emotional doors uh, that we walk through. And the happy doors are the ones that we love to tell stories about, right? This is like the, uh, this is the front door to your brand new home. When you walk through the door, that's a, that's a happy day, right? This is, the, uh, this is the door to the locker room after a big win. This is, this is the door to your kid's room when you bring them home from the hospital for the first time. We love the happy door. We love to tell stories about the happy door. And then there's this door. You guys remember your first breakup? My, my first big breakup happened the day after Valentine's Day. So I thought I was walking through the happy door, but she had other plans. Okay. See, this is um, actually, you know, the happy door is uh, every UGA fan right now. Right? Yeah. Come on. Because honestly, UGA fans are really used to this door. So this one's kind of a surprise for us. It's a good one. Right? See, the happy door is the, is the doors of the chapel that swing open as you see your bride walk down the aisle. Or maybe uh, more realistically, the happy door is the uh, honeymoon suite door. That's a, that's a good door, right? And then the sad door is the door that you slam after another argument. See, there's a lot of emotional doors that we walk through, and there's one door that we just want to avoid. One emotion that we'd rather not talk about, one emotion that we try to bury and just not deal with it, and it's this one, sad. But today, we're going to talk about sadness. And I can tell you are just as excited as I am. Um, And listen, I get it, okay? I'm like the smiliest pastor on staff. Like, my top strengths finder is positivity, Okay, so if there's anyone that would like to think that this door doesn't exist, if there's anyone that would like to pretend that this door just isn't real, it's me, right? And this is the temptation to just move on, to not address it, to not deal with sadness. In fact, as Christians, man, we are really guilty of this, right? Because Christians aren't supposed to be sad. Christians are supposed to be happy, right? I mean, after all, we got the joy of the Lord, amen, amen, and that's what we think, Right? It's like, come on, Jesus rose from the dead. Why are you sad, right? Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And he wrote that in prison. So we should be happy all the time. And this is, this is what we think. This is how we try to live the Christian life. And maybe this is why the Christian life feels so hard. Maybe this is why for some of us it feels so hollow, Maybe this is why you make fun of other Christians. Maybe this is why you're not a Christian. Because come on, we all know the truth, right? Wishing it away doesn't take it away. I mean, as hard as you may try, just trying to pretend that sadness doesn't exist doesn't work. You can shove it down. You can move forward. You can just go on with life, but it doesn't take away the sadness. And we've learned that over the past 18 months, haven't we? Because over the past 18 months, all of us have experienced different levels of sadness, from from job loss to economic uncertainty, 
from a health crisis to maybe the loss of a loved one, from, from the smallest disappointment to the biggest tragedy, we've all experienced sadness. And wishing it away doesn't take it away, right? I mean, they say time heals all wounds, but does it really? Because if that were true, then why, why do I still feel why do I still feel sad? Wishing it away doesn't take it away. In fact, I think that leaving it alone only makes it grow. See, because if you avoid the sad door, eventually it begins to color every other door you walk through. And if you ignore the sad door long enough, eventually you'll be without the happy door too. So what do we do? In other words, see, everyone, everyone has sadness. Everyone has sadness. How do we walk through it, right? We've all experienced sadness. Maybe it's a recent sadness for you. Maybe this is a sadness that you've suppressed. We've all experienced, but how do you actually walk through it? And so part of today, I'm going to talk about the saddest door that I ever walked through. And all I wanted to do was avoid it. But wishing it away didn't take it away. And leaving it alone only made it grow. So what do we do? How do we deal with sadness? How do we walk through sadness? Well, today we're going to look at two women who actually walked through sadness, and we're going to see how Jesus experienced sadness. Yes, Jesus actually experienced sadness. In fact, there's a really famous verse that highlights how Jesus was sad, and if you grew up in church, you might have actually memorized this one. If you haven't memorized it, I'll give you a chance to do that right now. This is John 11:35. It says, Jesus wept. Everyone say, Jesus wept. Congratulations, you just memorized scripture. Come on, you did it. Jesus wept. So today we're going to talk about the context of this verse. And I got to warn you, okay? Um, today as we dive in, there's going to be some things that Jesus does that, that maybe don't line up with your version of Jesus. In fact, he might do some unexpected things today. See, so Jesus was around 32 years old and um, he was hanging out with his disciples right after Hanukkah when he found out that his best friend, Lazarus, was sick. Now, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were like really tight with Jesus, okay? Yes, they were followers of Jesus, but they were so much more than that. They were like best friends with Jesus. And the reason we know that is because when the sisters sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, this is what they said, Lord, the one you love is sick. You remember the days before caller ID when your best friend would call you up and they would say, hey, it's me, right? And they wouldn't say their name, but because you were such good friends, you knew from the sound of their voice who they were talking about. They didn't even say Lazarus's name. They just said the one that you love. Come on, this is your best friend, Jesus. The one you love is sick. And then a few verses later, John kind of doubles down on this. He says, now Jesus loved Martha. Okay, in case you forgot, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he went to Lazarus's house immediately to make him better. And this is what we'd expect, right? Because after all, Jesus has the power to heal people. And this is Jesus's best friend. So surely he's going to heal Lazarus. The only problem is this isn't scripture. I made it up. It's the SWV. It's the Steve Walton version. Don't trust that version. Okay. So this isn't actually what happened here is what scripture actually says. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I think John includes this because what he's about to say next is going to make you doubt that. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
Wait, hold on, Jesus. <laughs> you have healed complete strangers, but when your best friend gets sick, you don't go to him, you stay where you are? Yeah, that's exactly what he did. In fact, it gets even worse. See, a few days later, Jesus went up to his disciples and told them that Lazarus had passed away. But he didn't say Lazarus died. He used a euphemism. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Okay, but the disciples didn't get it. So when Jesus said Lazarus is asleep, they looked at Jesus and said, hey, that's great news. I know I always feel better after a good nap. Like, it's good for Lazarus. And Jesus was like, okay, you don't get it. Um, so he said this. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad. I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Now, this verse messes with our version of Jesus, right? Because Jesus finds out that his best friend is sick. He stays where he is. And then he finds out that his best friend is dead. And he tells his disciples that he was glad. But I want you to look at the end of that verse. It says, then he went to go see him. In other words, there was a door of sadness for Mary and Martha. There was a door of sadness for Jesus. After all, this was Jesus's best friend, and Jesus did not avoid the door of sadness. In fact, when Jesus said, we need to go see Lazarus, his disciples said, that's a really bad idea. We shouldn't do that. We should avoid this door. But Jesus said, we need to face this door of sadness together. So Jesus and his disciples got up, and they started to go to the funeral of Lazarus. But before he even got there, look at what happened says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him because she had something to say to Jesus. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, come on. If you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you see how honest, how like vulnerable, how raw Martha was? In other words, she didn't avoid the door of sadness, and she didn't avoid Jesus. She said, Jesus, gosh, you should have been here. This is one of the most honest verses in all of Scripture. When she looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, imagine if we prayed to God that honestly, that vulnerably. Like, Jesus, didn't you hear my prayer? Jesus, couldn't you have done something about this? Come on, Jesus, couldn't you have fixed this? Couldn't you have helped him? Couldn't you have helped her? Martha said, Jesus, if you would have been here, then my brother would not have died. See, she faced her sadness and she faced Jesus head on, but not Mary. <laughs> See, Mary stayed at home because she didn't want to talk to Jesus because Jesus has disappointed her because Jesus, her supposed best friend, didn't even show up when her brother was sick. So she didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. But I want you to see what happens, what happens next. It says, after she said this, after Martha said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside and said, the teacher is here. Look at this. And is asking for you. In other words, even though Mary avoided Jesus, Jesus did not avoid Mary. Jesus said, Mary... We got to talk. And so Mary gets up and she walks 
to Jesus. But it's not just Mary. It's actually Mary and her whole posse. Like she's got a crew that's with her and they're all like friends and family and they're all weeping and wailing and sad and they descend upon Jesus. And I don't know that this actually happened, but I like to think that like maybe one of Mary's best friends like stood up and said, hey, Jesus, heard you want to talk to Mary. You got to talk to me first. You know, it's like, so anyway, so, so, so Mary goes up, she sees Jesus and this is what happens. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So honest, so real, so vulnerable. Jesus, you should have been here. Jesus, if you were here, we wouldn't be here, right? We wouldn't be at the funeral of my brother. Jesus, why didn't you show up? And I want you to see what Jesus doesn't do. Jesus doesn't correct her. Jesus doesn't chastise her. Jesus embraces her. Because listen, Jesus doesn't avoid your sadness. He embraces it. He, he doesn't run from your sadness. He doesn't avoid the door of sadness, right? He embraces it and he embraces you. And I think sometimes we put an expectation on ourselves that Jesus never put on us. Like somehow Jesus expects us to be happy all the time. Jesus doesn't expect you to be happy all the time. Jesus knows there's going to be moments when you are sad and he doesn't avoid your sadness. He embraces it and he embraced it with Mary and he embraced it with Martha. And even when Mary didn't want to see Jesus, Jesus wanted to see Mary. He embraced the door of sadness. And I want you to see what that, what that looks like. See, right after Mary talks with Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, this is her crew, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord. They replied. And then Jesus, maybe because he saw everyone else crying, Jesus, maybe because this was this was best friend Mary and Martha crying. Je Jesus, maybe because he was sad too. Maybe because he had to face his own door of sadness. Because after all, this was his best friend. And Jesus wept. And when he did, says the Jews said, see how he loved him. In other words, when they saw Jesus crying, when they saw Jesus weep, they came to one conclusion. They said, listen, I don't know why he didn't show up sooner. He really should have. I mean, after all, he healed a bunch of people he'd never met before. I still don't know why he didn't come. But there's one thing that's undeniable. Jesus loves this family. Gosh, he loves this family. Which is the opposite of what we normally think, right? Like normally when we have to face the door of sadness, we think that must be evidence that God doesn't care about us. That must mean God doesn't love us, right? Because if God loved us, then we'd be happy all the time. But clearly, God has left the building. He's left me alone. And that's the reason that I'm sad. But listen, sadness is not evidence of God's apathy. Okay? Just because you and I are sad doesn't mean that God has left the building. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. In fact, I think sadness is God's greatest invitation to himself. I think God is closest to us when we are saddest. See, I think when we walk to the door of sadness, we don't walk alone. 
We walk with our Savior who loves you even in the middle of sadness. But you got to face the door. And listen, when I was walking through my sadness, all I wanted to do was avoid this door. But wishing it away didn't take it away. And leaving it alone only made it grow. So we've, we've all got our own sad door. But this is mine. So I want to take off the, the pastor hat for just a little bit. And I want to just put on the human hat and just be Steve. And tell you about my door. It was June 27th, 2016, um, when my dad called, and he asked to be put on speaker so that Catherine could hear as well, and he told us that he had been diagnosed with cancer. And if you've ever gotten that phone call, or you've ever been in that waiting room, or you've ever talked to that doctor, you know that your brain can't quite compute it. You know, it tries to find a loophole, at least that's what my brain tried to do, and so he told me that, and I was just, I just started peppering him with questions, like, this can't be true. And so I, um, you know, I asked him, like, Dad, are you sure? And he said, yeah. And I was like, well, did you get a second opinion? He said, yeah, I got a second opinion. Okay, did you get a third opinion, you know? Do you want my opinion? You know, it's like, this can't be true. But after about an hour on the phone with him, I realized my dad has cancer. And so I, I cried. We got off the phone. And then I went upstairs to our bedroom and I went to our closet. This is normally where I pray. And I walked inside the closet and I shut the door and I got out a sticky note like this. Actually, it was this sticky note. And I just began to pray and I began to weep and I began to write down scripture and I began to pray and ask God to heal my dad. In fact, I was reminded of the story of Lazarus. And John eleven four says, the sickness will not end in death. This is what Jesus said. The sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified in it. And so I looked at that verse and I began praying that verse over my dad. That's why I have it memorized. I said, Jesus, you said this. The sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified in it. And I began to pray, God, I know you can heal him. God, I know you can heal him. God, you have healed people from diseases. I know you can heal my dad. I know my dad has cancer, but I know that you are bigger. God, you can heal my dad. And then a few weeks later, I found out that he had, it was lung cancer which is not what we were hoping for. So I started praying more specific. God, here I am at my sad door, right? In the closet with this sticky note. I'm going, God, come on. He's got lung cancer and I know you can heal him. A few weeks later, we found out it was stage four lung cancer, which again, is not what you want to hear. And so I'm like, God, okay, I guess I got to get more specific, you know? It's like, okay, God, uh, I want you to heal my dad. In fact, I wrote it here. I said, my dad has stage four lung cancer. And I know you can heal him. And then a few weeks later, I found out he also had developed pneumonia. And I said, good, let's add it to the list, okay? What a story this will be. I can't wait to tell this story. My dad is stage four lung cancer. And then I added, and pneumonia. But God, I know you can heal him. And I'm praying. And then I found out he had a blood clot. So I added blood clot. And then I found out it was actually three. So I had to kind of pencil in three. So it was like, okay, my dad has stage four lung cancer and pneumonia and three blood clots. And God, I know you can heal him. And then on September 9th, my dad passed away. I was so sad. I was like, man, that's my dad. He's too young, you know? 
I'm too young. Shouldn't have happened. Jesus, I prayed. I was just so sad. And so I wept and I cried. And then I did what most of us do, right? I, I um, wiped the tears and I said, I got to be strong. I got to be strong, right? Come on, I'm a pastor. I need to be strong. My mom just lost her husband. I need to be strong for her. My brothers just lost their dad. I need to be strong for them. We had to plan the funeral, and I'm a pastor, so I've planned lots of funerals. So I'm like, I'll take that. And so we planned the funeral. It was a good funeral, okay? And so we, so we planned the funeral. It was on September 19th, which was his birthday. And so it was, we did that. And as soon as we were done with the funeral, it was like time to move forward. And so I started back working again, and I was working lots of hours and not just working, but also I started my next home renovation project. I started redoing our guest bathroom. And, um, and so I'm spending all my time at work and all my time redoing the guest bathroom. And some of you are really intuitive and you're like, Steve, it sounds like you are avoiding the sad door. It's exactly what I was doing, but I am uh, really good at lying to myself. And so I justified it. And I said this, no, 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 I'm not avoiding my sad door. My mom is going to need a place to stay. And when she comes over, I don't want her to have a crummy bathroom. I want her to have a nice bath. She deserves that. She just lost her husband. And so I'm spending all my time, the bathroom, all my time at work running from the sad door. And it was like late October, and uh, I went to Kroger, and I, was, uh, I, I picked up some rotisserie chicken for dinner, and I put it in the cart. And as soon as I put it in the cart, I got so sad. It was like, it was like a, just this weird wave of sadness. And I was like, what is happening? It's like, did I just become a vegetarian? You know, it's like, why? How, is, how is chicken making me sad, you know? And so I started like doing inventory. It's like, okay, like are Catherine and I okay? I think Catherine and I are okay. Okay, are the, are the kids okay? Yeah, kids are okay. Okay, work's okay. Why am I so sad? So I check out, I get in the car and I'm driving home. And as I'm driving home, I realized that while my dad was in hospice, we got tired of the hospital food. And so my brothers and I would go across the street to Kroger and we'd pick up healthy food like rotisserie chicken. And I, I got home and I, I told Catherine and I just broke, just wept. And I said to her what I'd been avoiding the whole time. I said, Catherine, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm sure she was like, I could have told you that, you know, <laughs> fixing up that bathroom. It was like, babe, I'm not okay. And if you have a door of sadness, maybe it's a door that you've suppressed for a while. Maybe it's a recent sadness. Maybe it's over the past 18 months. The first thing you got to do, the first thing I had to do was you got to let yourself feel sad. As hard as it may be, as much as you want to avoid it, wishing it away doesn't take it away. My door of sadness was coloring every other door that I walked through. So I couldn't even go to the grocery store without being sad. You got to let yourself feel sad. For some of you, the, the bravest thing you could do today is just admit, I'm not okay. Can I tell you something today? Maybe this is the only thing that God wants to say to you. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. God doesn't expect you to be happy all the time. Maybe today you just got to let yourself actually feel sad. You got to go up to the door of sadness, 
And you got to open it. You got to open it. And so I'm letting myself feel sad. And literally the next morning, I, I, I texted Pastor Jason, Jason Barry. I said, um, man, I, I, I need 30 minutes with you because I knew he had already or he had lost his mom. And so he would understand. And I just need to talk to a pastor. And he was, oh my gosh, he was so gracious. He moved his calendar around. We got 30 minutes together. And I just, I just wept in his office, like ugly cry. Like it was not, it was not good. And we got to the end of the 30 minutes. And he said, Steve, I don't know how you feel about counseling, but um, you need counseling. Okay. He didn't say it that way, but he was much more kind. He goes, I don't know how you feel about counseling, but here's a counselor that I've seen. And I don't know why, but we have this stigma around counseling. Like somehow, you know, we can't go see a counselor because if we were to go see a counselor, then that means that like we're broken and we're messed up. And yeah, you are. Okay. And I am too. We all are. And I needed counseling. In fact, as I was like leaving Jason's office, it's like, we're saying goodbye. And I'm on the phone. I'm like, thanks, Jason. Yeah. When's your first appointment? You know, it's like, I gotta, I gotta talk to someone right now. I ended up seeing a counselor every single week for a year. Because listen, if you let yourself feel sad and you start walking through the store, you can't walk through the store alone. You got to let people help you. That's the second thing. If you're, if you're facing this door, if maybe the suppressed sadness is beginning to come up, you can't walk through this door alone. You got to let people help you. We were created for community. We were not designed to walk through the sad door alone. I needed a pastor. I needed a counselor. Man, I needed my small group. I had four guys. We met every Thursday morning at Chick-fil-A, and we'd sit down, and I would, you know, some weeks I would tell them, hey, I think I'm doing okay this week. And then other weeks I was like, I'm not doing good this week because I needed people. We need to walk through sadness with other people, and you got to let other people help you. And listen, I'm telling you, if you would, if you would crack the door of sadness just a little bit, if you only knew how much your church family would come flooding in, man, you've got, you've got pastors that care so deeply for you. And the moment you start facing your door of sadness, they will be there for you. Your small group will be there for you. Some of you today, man, today, the best thing you could do is go talk to a Christian counselor. I needed to talk to a Christian counselor. In fact, I heard a quote recently. It's so good. You are your own worst counselor. And listen, I, um, I can attest to that, okay? Like, I, I, part of my job is I counsel people for a living, but I am my own worst counselor. You know why? Because I lie to myself. And even more than that, I believe me. Like, I am so good at lying to myself, right? I'm like justifying the bathroom. I'm, man, I'm, I'm like justifying spending all the time at work. I'm justifying avoiding the door. Because listen, I'm my own worst counselor and so are you. Because we weren't designed to walk through sadness alone. We got to walk through it with other people. In fact, maybe, maybe actually facing the door of sadness Maybe, maybe, maybe this is the first time that you're not avoiding it. Because listen, man, I, I, I avoided it with the bathroom project. Some of you are working on a home renovation project right now, and God's inviting you to open the door of sadness. Some of you are like just, just getting, you know, um, uh, just neck deep in work. 
And you've justified it. You've said, you know what? My work needs me, and my work is really important. Hello, I'm a pastor. I think my work is really important. But listen, it's not more important than this door. It's not more important than facing our sadness, and it's not more important than walking through this door with other people. you got to let yourself feel sad, and you got to let other people help you. And people can help. They can. People can help you. But only Jesus can make you whole. See, the last thing you got to do is you got to let Jesus make you whole. He's the only one that can do it. Now, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, like, first off, I'm just, man, I appreciate you listening in and tuning in. And I want you to know the first two things are free. Okay, you can do that literally right now, and it actually will help you. If you are facing the door of sadness and you actually let yourself feel sad, it'll help you. And if you let other people help you, that's going to help you, too. It will. But it's but it's not enough to make you whole. Only Jesus can do that. See, as I started on this journey and I let myself feel sad and then I let other people help. Jesus, Jesus began to make me whole. And I remember I was down in the living room and that's where I was spending time with God because I had literally avoided this door. Like I had, I didn't want to see this sheet of paper. I didn't want to see my door of sadness. So every time I read scripture, I would read it downstairs in the living room. And I just so happened to be reading through the book of John and I got to John 11. And I got to the verse, John 11, 4. This sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified in it. And when I read that verse, it felt like Jesus whispered, hey, we need to go back upstairs. We need to go to the closet door and we need to face this together. Because listen, I'd been, I'd been avoiding this door, but can I just be honest with you? I'd been avoiding Jesus. Because the last time I faced this door, he disappointed me. The last time I faced this door, he didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted him to. And as I started to let myself feel sad and I started to let other people help me, it's time for Jesus to make me whole. And so I got up, went upstairs went to the closet, I closed the door and I looked at my sad door with Jesus. And it's so hard to describe, but man, in that moment, Jesus began to make me whole. See, I'm a dad. I've got, I've got two kids. And when my dad or when my kids get sad as a dad, you know what I do? Run to them. Man, I scoop them up in my arms. Because I want them to know that I'm so close to them, that I care so much for them. And I may not be able to take away their sadness, but I can be near them. And when I had been avoiding this door, I had been avoiding Jesus as well. And my dad in heaven, you know what he wanted to do? He just wanted to be near me. And so facing this door, Jesus began to make me whole. And I wonder if today... That's what Jesus wants to do for you. So I want to give us a moment. We're going to press pause in the teaching, and I'm just going to, we're going to crack the door of sadness a little bit.
and we're going to invite Jesus to make us whole. I want to give you a moment. This is just between you and Jesus. And maybe this is the first time that you've addressed this door. Maybe this is the first time that you've addressed Jesus. But the invitation is for you to let Jesus make you whole. Jesus, you don't avoid our sadness, you embrace it. You embrace us. God, even when we run from you and even when we run from sadness, God, you don't run from us, you run to us. So there's some of my friends today that you've started them on a journey of wholeness today. You just started it. You're bringing healing and wholeness to them. There's some people that have been avoiding Jesus that today they're talking to you for the first time. God, I thank you for that. I pray that you would do for them what you did for me. Oh, Jesus, would you make them whole? Because I can't. There's not a song that can make them whole. There's not a circumstance that can make them whole. Jesus, only you can make them whole. We're going to stay in this moment because I think, man, I think the door of sadness is God's greatest invitation to himself. When we are saddest, God is nearest. And I would argue that there are things that Jesus does in the door of sadness that he doesn't do any other door. I mean, that's what, that's what Mary and Martha found. Literally, Mary and Martha were face to face with their door of sadness, the grave site of their brother, Lazarus. There's a stone in front of the tomb 
They're just looking at the door of sadness. Mary, Martha, and Jesus. And then Jesus did the unthinkable because the story's not over. As they're facing the door of sadness, Jesus said, take away the stone. And everyone said, well, um, Jesus, there's a lot of issues with that. In fact, Martha, who's the logistics one, said, Jesus, the viewing was four days ago, and you kind of missed it, okay? Um, we can't take away the stone. But Jesus looked at Martha and said, trust me, the story's not done. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus prayed. It was a really quick prayer. He said, you know, God, I know that you hear me, and I just want them to know that you hear me, and I'm just doing what you say. So in Jesus' name, or I guess in my name, uh, amen. And he prayed, and then this is what Jesus said. Called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And in this unthinkable moment, Jesus did the unexplainable. He raised Lazarus from the dead. See, they thought they were showing up to a funeral and they arrived at a homecoming. Their brother was alive. And Mary and Martha, I think that as they looked at the door of sadness, they probably assumed this is the door we're going to look at for the rest of our lives. And can I be honest? This is what we think too, right? Maybe this is why we avoid the door of sadness because we think the moment that we look at this door, this door is the only door that I'm gonna face. From now on, I've gotta avoid this door because the moment I see it, that's all I'm gonna see for the rest of my life. But listen, the door of sadness is a door, not a room. And the middle of your sadness is not the end of the story. The middle of your sadness is not the end of your story. Your sadness has an expiration date on it. Here on earth and in eternity. In fact, John, the one who wrote all of this, later he wrote that God himself will wipe every tear from every eye. See, the middle of your sadness is not the end of the story. And the resurrection of Lazarus is proof of that. Not just because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, although that is good. But do you know what happened right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? All the religious leaders got together and they said, we've had it. We've had it with Jesus. This is the final straw. And look at this. From that day on, what day? The day of Lazarus' resurrection. From that day on, they plotted to take Jesus' life. In other words, the resurrection of Lazarus led to the crucifixion of Jesus. So listen, Jesus doesn't avoid your sadness. He embraces it. You know why? Because he didn't avoid his own sadness. He embraced his own sadness. And not just that, he embraced his own suffering. Jesus didn't just mourn with those who mourn. He suffered for those who suffer. So that when you walk through suffering, you are walking with Jesus who suffered with you. When you face the door of sadness, you don't face it alone. You've got a Savior who suffered with you, who is with you. And not just that, the middle of Jesus' sadness was not the end of the story. You know this, right? The saddest day in human history the crucifixion of the Son of God gave way to the resurrection of the King of Kings. 
So when you are in the middle of your sadness, God whispers to you, your story is not over. Now listen, God doesn't dismiss your sadness. He doesn't dismiss your pain. God's not saying it's not sad. He's saying it's not done. The middle of your sadness is not the end of the story. See, Jesus, Jesus did not heal my dad. He's making me whole. And so now I can face both doors and I don't have to run from them. I don't have to occupy myself with a home renovation project. I don't have to distract myself with work or with TV or with my phone because I'm not running from these doors anymore because when I face the door of sadness, I know I'm not facing it alone. I'm facing it with my Savior who suffered for me. He's the one who makes me whole. So today, as you're facing your door of sadness, we gotta, we gotta stop running from the store. We gotta let ourselves feel sad. We gotta let people help us. Our small group, a counselor, a pastor, your church, we gotta let people in. Because we weren't designed to walk through sadness alone. And most of all, we gotta let Jesus make us whole. So the campus pastors are gonna come up. They're gonna pray, or actually I'm gonna pray with you. I want to pray that today you would know that Jesus not only embraces your sadness, he embraces you. So Father, I pray that today, today would be a new day for my friends, that whether it's recent sadness or suppressed sadness, God, would you invite them into a conversation with you and would you begin to make them whole? God, I pray today there would, be, there would be friends and family that would rally around one another as they walk through sadness together. And most of all, God, I pray for the quiet moments with you where you begin to make them whole. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.